Hey everyone, thanks again for joining for the book of Colossians. Now, I want to start off by saying, don't you love when you get something new? Now, I personally love when I get a new pair of shoes. And my son, Caleb, this week just got two new pairs of shoes. Not one, but two new pairs. And here's one of them. He got some PF flyers, which I'm super jealous about. I wish they were my size. I also have a pair of PF flyers, but mine are old. So we often get new things to replace things that are old. And the reason why we do this is because there's something so inherently beautiful of things that are new, things that are uh, beautiful. And this is what we're talking about as we get into the life of the believer, that there has now been a new nature, a new identity that has been given to you, that has been offered to you by grace in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has been contrasting the old nature, which was ruled by sin, and the new nature that is now guided by Jesus. And so today, we're going to venture into the practical implications of the new nature, the new identity that you have in Jesus. Simply, today, we're going to be told by the Word of God how we're supposed to now live. I want to remind you, though, that the life that we're called to live as Christians is not empowered by the law and carried out in the flesh, but it is empowered by grace and carried out by the Spirit. As we learned last week, we need to put off all false forms of religion that, yes, have this outward appearance of godliness, but lack the power to transform a life. And so we want to put off legalism, we want to put off mysticism, asceticism, any sort of ism that is not according to Christ. The life we now live, we live by faith in Jesus. And so we can have a relationship with the real Jesus. And we're going to look now at the third chapter of Colossians, beginning at verse 1, where it says, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, Paul is specifically speaking to Christians now. And what makes you a Christian? I mean, uh, let me just tell you, what makes a person a Christian is that they have been crucified with Jesus and they have been raised with Jesus. Your old nature has died and you've been given a new nature that is alive. And so this happens to a person when they hear the gospel of salvation. When, when you come to understand that you have a problem that is too great for you to handle upon your own. And that problem is sin. And, and any solution other than Jesus is powerless to save you. You've, you've come to the place where you believe in faith that you've trusted that the death burial and resurrection of Jesus has power to save you from your sin, that he is the only answer to your need. And so if you've heard that message and you've received that message, then by grace you've received the gift of salvation. And so keep in mind that as we go forward into this book, that word if there at the start of verse 1 shows us now that what's to come is conditional. Not everyone can say that these things that we're about to look at today are a reality for them. They can be, 
If you repent of sin and receive the forgiveness of God, then you can live with a new identity being a child of God. Now, God wants every single man, woman, and child to experience this. He wants you to bring the real you to the real Jesus and see what happens to you. Okay, so if then, it says in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. So as a Christian, as a believer now, this is your identity. Your identity is now to identify with all the things that Jesus is. So if Jesus was crucified, then you have been crucified with him. If Jesus was raised, then you have been raised with him. And so if you've been crucified and raised with Jesus, then it says to look up. Look up. To seek those things which are above. Now, the Bible talks a lot about where we ought to focus our attention, where we're to put our eyes. And when it says there that we're to set our eyes on things that are above, to look up, um, we're not so much as being told to look at the, the sun or the stars or the sky or the clouds. We're told to look toward heaven. Now, when we look into the sky, we see an unfathomable distance. And there's no way that we have seen with our eyes the physical reality of heaven. It, this is a spiritual place, but it is also a physical reality that will be manifested to us uh, in, in its time. So though we cannot see with our eyes this place of heaven where Christ is, the word tells us that heaven is as much real, if not just more real than what you experience on this earth. And that is where Jesus is, right? We're to look up toward heaven because Christ is there. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, Jesus is there because at one point, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. And while he was upon the earth, he lived a perfect life. He did amazing miracles he taught with this authority that the world has never seen before. And then he was arrested and he was crucified. He was laid into a tomb, but three days later, he rose from the dead. No other religious figure in human history is able to claim that. That they predicted their death, burial, and resurrection and then pulled it off. But Jesus did that, and when he was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and to over 500 witnesses. Now, while he was upon the earth after his resurrection, he spent some time instructing his disciples about what was to come next. But at a certain point, Jesus ascended back into heaven. And it tells us this great story of the disciples were gathered around Jesus. And then all of a sudden he was taken up, like up, up, up and away. And he's going up into the skies until they couldn't see him any longer. And we know that where Jesus went was to the Father. He told us that he would go to the Father. And at the Father's presence, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, 
the position at the right hand speaks about his preeminence, his power, and his right to rule, but also it signifies this idea that the work of the cross was accomplished, that the work of the resurrection was finished. And so now Jesus is sitting in heaven, kind of just sitting back, praying and drawing people to himself. The Bible says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. So he's praying for you even in this very moment as he's sitting next to the Father. Then verse 2 says, So set your minds on things above and not on things that are on the earth. So you first seek these things that are above. But once they've been sought and once they've been found, you then need to set your mind there. So why are we to set our mind on things that are above and not on things that are below, on heaven and not on earth? Well, we're going to get to that in the coming verses, but I just want to give you an idea. The world is corrupt, but heaven is perfect. The world has pain, but heaven has healing. The world has death, but heaven has life. The world has darkness, but heaven has light. See, there's people who say this, and and I understand the sentiment of it, but there's people who say that a person is so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. But a heavenly minded person is going to be the very best earthly good. Someone whose mind is stayed upon heaven is going to walk through life fulfilling the Lord's prayer, which was to let heaven come to earth, that let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we think heavenly thoughts, when our mind is stayed upon heaven, we bring heavenly realities to earth. However, when the mind of the believer is not set on heaven, we we are just bound to these basic principles of the world. And so the believer is to have a mindset on heaven. Now, we understand something that that we want to bring heaven to earth, but there's also this sense for the believer that we want to leave this earth and we want to go to heaven. As C.S. Lewis said, why would we be satisfied with playing with mud pies in the slum when we've been promised a holiday at the sea? Heaven will always always far outweigh earth in its glory, in its splendor, in its joy, in everything. Heaven will always far outweigh earth. Now verse 3 says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's speaking to Christians, people right, who haven't died physically but spiritually. The believer has said by faith, that I have crucified the old man, the old woman. I've put to death all of my sin by the transforming power of God as he has enabled me to do that. And I'm going to now live in this resurrection life that Jesus offers to me. So Christians, right, as Paul refers to them in Colossians, faithful saints and brethren, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There is refuge in the shadow of the wings of God. We are hidden with Christ in God, like a super good hiding spot. 
At our last house in Santa Barbara, my daughter had the best hiding spot. It was in my wife's closet, but not just in the closet, it was up on this shelf, kind of tucked into the clothes that were hanging. And so she had a hiding spot within a hiding spot. And that's the idea right there as it's saying that we've been hidden with Christ in God. We are safe and secure in Jesus because Jesus is safe and secure in the Father. So we're sort of like doubly hidden with Christ in God. Now in this place that we've been hidden with him, we get the sense of how good heaven is going to be. We begin to have a taste. We begin to have a longing for where he is. And because we've sought this place and we've set our mind there, we have this heavenly perspective where we can say like Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or as he said, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So until that's the case, which we should know is God's decision, right? It's God's decision of when that happens. But as Christians, we have one of two possibilities. Either we will die and we will go home to be in the presence of the Lord, or Jesus will come back as he promised he would, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up with him. Jesus will come back, and we don't know when, but that is why it's important for us to look up and seek the things that are above because it could happen at any moment. As it says in verse 4, Christ who is your life may appear and then you will appear with him in glory. I love this portion because what it does is it elevates my eyes toward heaven and causes me to think about the glorious return of my Savior. And... Um, whether it happens where I die to go be with him or I get to see that glorious return, that's his decision. But I have to ask these questions for you before we move forward. Do you want to have a heaven mindset? Do you want to have a life that is hidden in Christ? Do you want to appear with him in glory? I really hope that the answer to those questions would be yes. And if they are yes, then it's simply by placing your faith in Jesus and he offers you all these things. You will be given a new identity in Jesus. Now we read verses 5 through 7 now where it now says, if this is true of you, if you are a Christian, this is how your life is going to look. So therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So because of our new identity in Jesus, we put to death these things. Now, now we know, as it says there in verse 7, we used to walk that way. We used to fornicate and have uncleanness and passion and evil desire and covetousness. That, that was our past. But now that you've been given a new nature, a new identity, you are to put to death your members which are on the earth. And what this is saying is that things like sexual immorality should not be named among believers. See, 
if if you are a believer the mind of a believer should be set on heaven rather than being consumed in your thoughts and in your thinking of sexual sin see nothing rips off the mind of a believer more off of heaven than to put your your mind on the sensual licentious things of this earth sexual sin and impurity uh, things like pornography things like fornication things like adultery these will rip your mind off of heaven and and just keep you earthbound so put it to death kill it you don't have to do those things anymore i like one saying that says kill sin or it's going to kill you. So we need to put to death our sin. The other sin mentioned there is covetousness, which is idolatry. It's looking around at what other people had and wishing that you had it and never being satisfied with the life and the things that Jesus has given to you. But there's this comparison that takes place where rather than looking up, you are looking about at things that other people have and it's idolatry. So Paul is saying here, right, kill sin or sin will kill you. Then verse 8 through 9 talks about how, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So look at it. You, You guys can look at the verses there. Do you see any of those things that are speaking into the way that you're living your life right now? I mean, the sins of verse 5 through 7 are primarily talking about sinful actions. Um, But the sins in verses 8 through 9 are primarily committed by the things that we say. See, God will hold us accountable not just for the things that we do, but even the things that we say. So if your mind is set on heaven, both your actions and your language will be influenced by heaven. If your mind is set on earth, both your actions and your language will be influenced by the earth. So remember that the way to deal with all of this is to put off the old man. Let that old man die. That old woman needs to be crucified and buried. And you get to live as a new person raised with Jesus. See, Anybody, an an unbeliever, they can control sin. uh, They can manage sin. Anyone can have moral reform. But only a believer in Jesus Christ can see sin put to death. Only a Christian can have that kind of spiritual renewal. So verses 10 through 11 Continue to speak about this new identity we have. Verse 10, in having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We're told to put off and we're told to put on, right? I took my son's nasty old Nikes. I'm going to put on a fresh pair of PF Flyers. Why, Why would we ever put on the old thing when we have something that is new? 
So put on the new man that is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Man, this is so beautiful. See, don't be deceived by saying that you've put off the old man, but you're still walking around doing the things that are defined by the old nature of sin. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that believers, Christians, and, and this is all of us, from time, from now and again, right, we will see the things that are listed in verses 5 through 9. We will see them pop up now and again in our lives. We're not sinlessly perfect. Um, that, that is something that will happen in heaven. But right now, we are being sanctified. Right now, we are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created us. But a believer will be marked by a significant change in the way that they think and in the way that they live their life. They will live a life that is pleasing to God. Again, both in the way that they think, where they focus their mind, in their actions, in their speech. Everything about who you are is supposed to be renewed in Jesus, living as that new man, that new woman. So it doesn't matter who you are. Are you Greek? Are you Jewish? Are you Persian? Are you Korean? Are you African? Are you German? I, I love what my pastor and a great Bible commentator, Pastor David Guzik, says at this point in, in our text. It says that the new man is part of a family which favors no race, nationality, class, culture, or ethnicity. It only favors Jesus because in this new family, Christ is all and in all. And so I'm going to say this again to bring the real you to the real Jesus. Now, what are the things that you have identified yourself by? They, they might be beautiful, wonderful things, whatever they are, racial identity, national identity, class identity, cultural identity, ethnic identity, bring all of that identity because that's the real you, but bring that to the real Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Jesus is loving. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised. He is all and he is in all. So bring the real you to the real Jesus. See, Jesus wants us to live with a heavenly identity as you are being renewed in the knowledge of him and as you continue every day to look more and more like him. God bless you.